0: Uh, you join us, we're in the, right at the beginning of a new series. In fact, last Sunday, Andrew Wilson, our teaching pastor, opened this series up. and started with a picture of the discipleship is like walking. You have to put one step in front of another. Uh, and alluded to, actually, in the New Testament Christianity, we were known for people that followed the way uh, before we were called Christians. It was just a way to live, a way to go. And it was a helpful picture. I've got another picture for you for discipleship, and that is the race. Uh, The Apostle Paul takes pictures from um, normal day life, like the farmer, or a soldier, or or an athlete. I I don't really want to be a farmer. I don't really want to be a soldier, to be honest. But an athlete, oh well, you know. I like to think of myself as naturally fit. And an athlete. And, and that's one of the pictures Paul uses for discipleship. Uh, so the famous passage in Hebrews 12, following Hebrews 11, where there's a list of the heroes of faith, then there's this sort of picture of um, uh, a stadium with uh, people running their race. very important when you run your race that you run in your lane. Don't look at someone else's lane and think, I wish I was running their race. Run yours. Uh, And uh, the heroes of faith cheer us on as we run our race. Philippians 3, Paul says, I want you to press on towards the goal. It's another, the picture of the race. So this is a common picture of a race. One of my, uh, well, I think one of the most challenging races is the 110 uh, metres hurdles. I don't know if anyone's ever tried that. Uh, but it's longer than 100 metres. In fact, the women's event is 100 metres. The, the men's event is 110. So you have to get over 10 hurdles. And um, I found out this week that the hurdles are over a metre high, or in the old language, uh, 3 foot 6 inches. So it's quite high. That's higher than the chair you're sitting on, the back of the chair. So just have a look at that? It's significantly higher than that. And you have to run as fast as you can. You have to clear all 10 hurdles, and the world record at the moment stands at 20 seconds. So, no, not 20, 12.8. Like if, if, if only I could do it in 20 seconds, I'd take that. But anyway, um, now the thing about this race, you can train really hard. You can eat well, you can train hard, you can prepare for the, the Olympic final or the world championship, you can be ready to go, you can get out of the blocks, and you can fall at the first hurdle. You can literally be wiped out. In fact, you've got to get over all 10. You can be doing really well. You can be in the lead. You could be running your race really well, and then you hit the sixth hurdle. Crash, bang, you're out. Or you might be leading as you get to the 10th hurdle. You hit the 10th hurdle. I've seen that. Have you ever watched it? It hit the 10th hurdle, and everyone else charges past. I want to talk about discipleship today. I've particularly been given the subject of hardship or suffering. And I want to say to you that you could be running your race really well and then suffering and hardship comes along. If you're not prepared, it can take you out of the race. This hurdle comes and you can hit it and you're out of the race. And I don't want that for you. And in fact, what I'm going to try and do today is prepare you for the, the, the reality that hardship comes. Um, a John Piper, who's an American writer, uh, put it this way. If you've got a six-pointer... A 10-pointer or a 12-pointer discipling program, suffering or hardship better be one or two or three, because it'll take them off guard quickly if it's not. Uh, so this is one of those messages. It's going to be a really happy message today. This is going to go, out. Wow, so glad I came to church, so glad Steve was speaking, just, sort of just entertain me again and told me that life is hard. So that's where we're going today. And I'm doing it because I want you to run your race well. I want you to burst through the line. Ultimately, when Paul's writing that, he's talking about eternally. He's talking about running the race, completing the course. I want that for you. I want it for myself. Let's read um, from uh, Philippians 1. I'm going to read from verse 12 to 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole of the palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Don't you love the honesty of scripture? It says most of the brothers and sisters, which means that some of them haven't. Some of them are fearful, so they've stopped proclaiming the gospel. But because of Paul's example, most of them are confident. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do, so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So here we go again. You're going to get this through the whole letter. Paul's emphasis on rejoicing in the Lord. It comes again. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have significant courage uh, so that, Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is, is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the face, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So here we have Paul in chains. He's probably's either got them on around his wrists or his ankles. He's still rejoicing and trusting in God's sovereign plan. Um, my pastor, uh, when I was growing up in Bedford, would say you should be able to summarise a message in like one sentence. Here it is. Hardship is normal. Hardship is normal. Um, I'm so glad I came today. So if you're here for the foresight, we know how to sell the message around here. We're just, this is it. Hardship is normal. The problem is the challenge of our culture is that we live up in a culture which does everything to soften hardship, which on the whole is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, But it is full of danger for us who are Christians. Um, John Piper puts it this way, he's an American writer. He says, There is a radical and a normal way to be a Christian. It's all over the New Testament. We don't live it by and large in America or Western nations. We are so saturated with this culture of ease and comfort and escape and retirement and leisure and entertainment that New Testament Christianity is unintelligible. By and large. This is a challenging quote. We're so saturated. I like that word, saturated. It's like soaked in. We've grown up in this culture. We know no different. It's got some great things about it. I love the fact that we have the NHS and things like that. But it seeps into us. Yeah. Ah, a life of ease and comfort, escape and retirement and leisure and entertainment. I mean, and I'm as bad as everyone. I, I just I'm looking forward to the end of the day, and we can get home tonight, sit down, and we can watch the next episode of McMafia. Yeah, I mean, you know. And so I'm saturated with the uh, entertain me culture, aren't we all? But it's very different, starkly different, to New Testament Christianity. And if we were honest, most experience of life that most people have in the world, and particularly some Christians. And I'm not talking about persecution here. I'm talking about just normal hardship. Um, Paul puts it this way, therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's true, isn't it? I still feel about 21. I'm feeling good. I'm being renewed inwardly, all the time. But outwardly, it's all fading. It's all going. Gray hair. It's wrinkles. It's glasses. I used to have 20-20 vision, and then about 48, I couldn't read, and I had to get my glasses. Now, Carol, my PA, has to print out my PowerPoint in large print so I can read it without my glasses. It's glasses. It's for some, it's arthritis, it's a, you're going to need a hip replacement, or, or it's cancer, or it's death. Now, this isn't theoretical to me at the moment. My uncle Dave died about uh, 10 days ago. He's my father's younger brother by about 12 years. He would have been 70 in February. And... Uh, Dave hadn't been well for a long time, so it hasn't come as a big surprise to us, and he'd had bypasses, heart bypasses in, in the past. But just before Christmas, he got rushed into Farnborough uh, uh, intensive care, and um, once I'd finished all my responsibilities in leading kings before Christmas, i got all that done, I then drove to see him and went to see him and we talked a little bit about Crystal Palace because Dave was, uh, amongst other things, he was a, a season holder, a uh, ticket holder at the palace. In fact, when I was a young pastor here, I'd only been two or three years here, he discovered that Deb and I were double tithing towards the building you were enjoying sitting in at the moment, okay? So that's what we did. We asked the church to double tithe and we thought we can't ask the church to do something that we didn't do ourselves. So we gave like that. He, he had asked me to go to a game of football. I said, I just couldn't afford to go. And I said, we're giving to what we're doing here. And about 10 days later, he turned up at my front door. knocked. I can see him knocking on the window. And I'm, what are you doing here, David? And he, came, he said, I've got a season ticket for you. He said, uh, I was so moved by the, your generosity. I, I thought, I kind of go. So we went to see Palace together. It was under Terry Verbal, Venable's reign. It, was, it wasn't good. It was just another, it was, trust me, it was another season of hardship in, uh, in the Palace era. But... Um, and then uh, it was becoming clearer that Dave wasn't going to get out of hospital. It was timing. Uh, his time was coming. And uh, uh, So across Christmas, I thought, I've got to go in and pray with him. So I tried to share the faith with him a number of times. And Dave was one of these people. If you ever met them? They said, well, like, I, I don't actually believe it myself, but I respect Christians. I said, I don't want to be respected. I want you to hear the good news, okay? And we'd have these conversations. And I'd give him books and things like that. And... Um, but I went in and I, he was lying there. There's tubes everywhere. And I, I said, look, Dave, I've come to pray with you. Oh, thanks, Steve. Are you happy? Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be great. And we pray together. I don't know if he turned to God. I appealed to him. I said, Dave, turn to God. Reach out to God. That was the last time I saw him and I heard 10 days ago that he'd uh, passed away. Life. This is Life. It's just the normal circle of life. And if, you, if you're not expecting that, then you can be following God and then something comes in. It's one phone call or one activating event and suddenly you could question God and you think, well, why God allow this? We are living in a fallen world, okay? Now this can get complicated because for Christians, if you have been exposed to prosperity teaching, you're even more vulnerable. Huh? The prosperity teaching, which, uh, I mean, just so you know, really clear up front, I think it is error. Uh, it's like all doctrine, which has got some truth in it, but, uh, sorry, not all doctrine, some error has some truth in it. But this, this is not good if you've been exposed to prosperity teaching. Sometimes summarizes the health and wealth gospel. It goes like this. The health part of it is what I would call overrealized eschatology, which is too much of the future now. And we have this tension of living in the kingdom as breaking in. It's here now, but there is a not yet. The not yet part of it is that there will be a day when there will be no tears, no suffering, no pain. That's when we're with him forever. And there is an aspect of the kingdom breaking in now, which means we believe that there is healing for now, and we pray for it actively in this church. But it does also mean there are things that we won't see, and that gradually, (laughs) in fact... I think the older your church gets, the more you, you become to embrace this. I think if you're a very young church and you don't see some of the, the pain and the fragmentation of life and health, it's uh, more tricky. But there's a big church that of a pastor got cancer, the senior pastor, massive prophecies, he's going to be healed, God will raise him up, and he dies. And in the end, it leads to disappointment and lack of trust of God. So it sets, sets you up. The other side of it, of course, is the, the wealth part, which so seeps into our materialistic culture, which basically teaches you give to get, rather than you get to give. Yeah? That's what we believe here. You get to give, and you give not to get more money back, so that we can fuel the gospel, that more people can hear the good news. See, what can happen is the combination of Western culture and prosperity teaching can kind of seep into you and leave you with unrealistic expectations and even a sense of entitlement. Now, if you throw in a little bit of honor-shame culture as well, which comes from certain people groups, then, man, you are really, because you see the favor and blessing of God on, on wealth, you're worrying me. Shall I tell you why I've led this church for a long time? You're a little quiet. Okay? Do you know what it tells me? A lot of you have been exposed to prosperity teaching and you feel the appeal of it. Mm. But it's alright. I'm here to help you and <laughs> save you from that because I don't want you to get taken out when suddenly you give all your money and it doesn't come back. You think, where's God? Or you go through a health challenge and you pray and sometimes you're healed and sometimes you're not. It makes us vulnerable. The combination of our culture, the combination of uh, bad teaching makes us vulnerable. Paul here is in prison, okay? His circumstances are not good. I don't know what prison stands for you at the moment. It could be loss, it could be health issue, it could be relational breakdown, it could be financial debt. I don't know about you. When I go through a difficult season, do you know what I want to? My main motive is I want to get out of it. I'm, I'll be honest with you. When a difficult season comes, I think I just, the flesh in me says, I'm just, look, I just, let's, oh, please, Lord, get me out of this, okay? It's, I'm not the only person that thinks that. Yeah, I think that's just being human, all right? Um, but Paul here, he embraces it. He actually sees this prison. ...as a part of God's purpose in his life... ...and an opportunity to proclaim the gospel... It's right through the verses. Verse 12, for the advance of the gospel. Verse 13, I could be a witness to the whole palace guard. Or because of my chains, my example, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then verse 15 to 18, there are people that are other Christians who are taking the opportunity saying, well, look, obviously God can't be with Paul, he's in prison. And so they're proclaiming, uh, proclaiming Christ for their own benefit, and Paul, in the end, he stands back from the mat and says, I'm just interested, in the end, if the gospel's been preached, I'm happy. I thought to myself, as disciples of Christ, how good are we proclaiming the gospel through difficult seasons when we're in hardship? What is our example like? And if we're in any doubt of the place of hardship and suffering in following Jesus Christ, we look to him as our supreme example. And that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to tack in a moment. He's going to go to what we call Philippians 2. yeah, And he's going to point to this, this person, Jesus. And they think, we'll get into that next week, but we, th- that we think it's like a, um, a New Testament hymn. that Jesus himself didn't grasp equality with God but made himself nothing and took on the role of a servant and was humbled and obedient ultimately to death. So look, life is hard and you're going to have seasons when it's going to be going well and seasons when it's going to be going tough. God hasn't changed. Your circumstances have, okay? And uh, it's now how do you navigate that through. And what I don't want is for you to get taken out of the race and fall at this hurdle, the hurdle of hardship. I don't want that for you. As I was preparing, uh, I Googled, how does God use suffering? So I praise God for Google, uh, you know, for, for the preacher, you know. And I found an article that said, the 36 ways that God uses suffering to sort of train us. I mean, I read it uh, and I just thought, oh, God. So I've got I've got four. Okay, I narrowed it down to four. Okay. Well, the first one is obvious. Paul sees this as God's sovereign plan. There are in other situations where, in fact, he planted this church by breaking out of prison. Yeah. So get your head around that. So in one situation, he breaks out of prison and plants a church. This one, he says, no, it's right for me to be in prison. Okay. He doesn't see this as the enemy's work. Oh. I'm under attack at the moment. A spiritual attack? No, he sees this particular season as God's sovereign plan and an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Actually, I know my own life, particularly when it came to, to my sense of call, cool, which I have lived with deeply from a young man. Was I, I know there are three times in my kind of uh, call cool working life where how I've planned it has hasn't worked out. In fact, it's gone it's gone bad it's gone downhill against Steve Tibbetts plan a okay so the first was when I had a sense of call. Cool. Uh, many of you know this I felt called cool. as a young man I was going to go to Bible college I was dating this beautiful girl we had to split up it all went bad it was crashed I had the closest thing to emotional breakdown uh, this was not the plan six years later I married the beautiful girl as you know she's sitting on the front row she's still with me and um And then I went full time. And then that was all great. Okay, you went from a bad season. Oh, it's good. Okay, I learned a lot through that. And then after five years of being a pastor in Bedford, the eldership team I was a part of blew up, fell apart. I mean, I was devastated. And it propelled me from Bedford to London to here. I don't think we would have come if it wasn't for this going wrong. Actually, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have come because we were very happy there. And I had aspirations to lead the church. Or even more recently in the New Frontiers journey, for those of you who know some of that detail. But I can, I can say, just like uh, Genesis 50 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I'm glad that, I, I mean, at the time, I wasn't glad that the Bedford thing blew up. It was painful. It took me, I reckon, two years to emotionally recover. I was leading this church. It took me at least two years to emotionally recover from what had happened in Bedford. But I'm glad. I can embrace that season now. Because it has been for the saving of many lives. Yeah? And uh, we want to see many more saved in this church going forward. Secondly, um, it helps you help others when you go through hardship. Um... The power of empathy, the power of community. It's why we encourage you to get into a group. So, we don't want you to be isolated in, in, in your lane. We want you to connect with other runners. And uh, we know that hardship could be just around the corner, and you just need one another to carry and encourage through. And sometimes to be an example of someone that has been through something and can help someone else through a difficult season. As 2 Corinthians 1 4 puts, God who comforts us all in our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Sometimes God, sometimes God allows suffering to overcome pride. This is a less popular point to turn to God. But you very often see that in baptisms. When people stand up and say... I was going this way and I was doing my own thing and my life was not working out and I got involved in a bad relationship and I was drinking this, taking that, da-da-da-da, and then God. Yeah? So very often, things can happen which you're not looking for, but God takes the opportunity and allows it so that you can, uh, he can deal with the root of pride. Now, I, am, I have to be honest, I, I'm aware that God does that one, so that's why I try to be humble. Okay, and fail miserably all the time. You know, I think I'm, I'm going to get hum- more humble, so I don't have to go through the pride test anymore. But obviously, it's taking me through quite a lot of time. So obviously, there's a big issue there. And then, lastly, just quickly, um, what does suffering, uh, suffering, or failure do, or hardship? Well, failure can be a fantastic teacher. Failure, or to quote the great master Yoda, you know. The greatest teacher, failure is. The greatest teacher, failure is. So I quoted from The Last Jedi, another classic movie. Has anyone seen The Last Jedi in the house? Okay, well, that's lost on most of the congregation. So in it, I was watching it, and I want Deb's there. She's suffering through, and we're watching it, and I thought, the greatest teacher, failure is. Now, that I've got to get that in the sermon. I thought to myself, it's so true, isn't it? You learn so much. I've learned more through failure than I have through success. Yeah, I've learned more about myself and more about God in those seasons. But Paul doesn't go there in this passage. He doesn't turn it into what, what um, how God uses suffering. He actually takes us in a completely different direction. He lifts our eyes to a greater horizon and takes us to this famous verse for... For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He takes us to an eternal perspective. Verses which have actually comforted Christians through the centuries, particularly those when life is in the balance. Or, he would put it this way, We do not lose heart, though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, that far outweighs them all. Or in Philippians 3 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. The trouble is, for most of us, me included, I'm firmly rooted on the earth. I see, I do, I enjoy life. Yeah? And so if I was going to ju- ju- sh- 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 go to heaven today, well, yeah, maybe, Lord, but I'm really, I quite like it here. Okay? I do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's just being honest for a moment. Okay? But it also reveals that our experience of Christianity is very different to most. If you live in other parts of the world following Christ at the moment, you might say these verses very differently. You would see, actually, peace at last. No more suffering, no more war, no more refugees, no more crisis. Yeah? And so we're, we are dulled in the significance of the words because of the comfort and ease that we enjoy. So we have to hold attention here because we don't want to get into prosperity, nor do we want to get into asceticism, which is the kind of poverty spirit, which is like, oh, well, okay, after this message, ooh, I'll be really grumpy. and you know, th- No, we have to find a middle road. But it is truthful to say that for most of us, it's a stretch to think eternal. Because we're so in the moment. Maybe as you grow mature or even age, and that day is approaching, then mainly you, you lean into it more. And as you get frail, you think, ah, oh, peace at last. Peace at last to be with him forever. So what have we learned today? Well, I hope we've learned some stuff. First, life is hard. Suffering is a part of it. Paul embraces this, sees it as an opportunity for the gospel. God can use hardship uh, to train you like in no other way. But Paul's remedy is to look to heaven, look and have an eternal perspective. But as we close, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, that's all very well. We've experienced Paul the Apostle evangelist today. But where's the heart? Where's the humanity? Where's the feelings? Where's the compassion? As we go through all this hardship. Well, you get a glimpse of that. You get a glimpse of Paul the pastor uh, in the second half of Philippians 2. When he talks about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the messenger. He came from Philippi with the gift and encouragement from the church that Paul originally planted. And he comes and he gives the gift to support Paul's apostolic ministry. And... Uh, what happens is the church at Philippi I hear that Epaphroditus gets unwell and so they're worried about him and that's why Paul writes to the church is one of the things he writes to tell them he's, he's okay. And he tells the story, he says, you're right, your messenger Epaphroditus was with us and he nearly died. And I have this picture of the apostle, the great apostle Paul. Epaphroditus is getting sicker and sicker and he's laying on hands and nothing is happening. Okay, that's, that's what I picture here. Otherwise, if he, was, he would just raise him up when he got a cold, wouldn't he? But things are getting worse and worse. But it, the, the story lands in um, Philippians 2 and 27. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And so I want to close today, in the last 10 minutes or so we got is I want to pray for any of you that are going through hardship at the moment. I want to pray that God will have mercy on you, that God will move. Maybe in your season there will become deliverance. You will, in a sense, break out of your prison. Uh, I would love that for you. And also I'd like to pray for anyone here who's, in a sense, carrying and walking alongside someone that's going through a difficult season. I want to pray that you don't have sorrow upon sorrow. This is what uh, Paul testifies here. He's delighted for deliverance. He's glad to report that Epaphroditus has recovered. He sort of says, I think I'd better send him back to you. Very pastoral, you know. um, But that's what I'd want for you as well. I'd like you to run the race well. I don't want you to trip up at the first hurdle or the 10th. I want you to keep going. But when hardship comes, I would also want to pray with you that God would have mercy on you and would spare you from sorrow upon sorrow. Let's pray together.